You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hello, I'm Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor at Campus Review. Today I'm talking to the University of Southern Queensland's Dr Jared Caff about a ramification of climate change that hasn't hit the headlines much, a decline in a particular variety of coffee. In particular, we're talking about the variety of coffee called Robusta, supplying roughly 40% of the world's coffee supply and second only to the Arab, uh, Arabica bean in sales. Firstly, Dr Kath, why and how did the de-risk Southeast Asia collaboration project emerge and how did you find out about declines in, in robusta yields? Uh, thanks, Wade. So the project is uh, funded through something called the International Climate Initiative, and that's funded by the German federal government, actually. And they fund uh, climate change mitigation and biodiversity projects in developing emerging and transition countries. And so this project we're working on focuses on Southeast Asian agricultural producers, and, and that's uh, climate change projects are particularly important in Southeast Asia because those countries are among the most at risk um, from climate change and climate extreme events like droughts, floods and heat waves into the future. So this kind of research is really critical in Southeast Asia. Uh, the project's carried out by a few different organisations. So University of Southern Queensland is uh, leading the project along with the World Meteorological Organisation and the Centre for Tropical Agriculture, which is based in uh, Vietnam. And the overall aim of the project is to develop climate risk management systems and best practices to help shield uh, smallhold farmers and businesses engage, engage in agricultural production throughout Southeast Asia. So we're looking at a range of crops, not just coffee. Um, so we're looking at things like sugar and rice and cassava and a range of other um, very important crops in these countries. Uh, the project's just started out, and we started with coffee and robusta coffee in particular because of um, its great economic importance. So in, in Vietnam alone, I think there's over 2 million people that are in some way um, dependent on the production and or sale of robusta coffee. So it's an incredibly important crop um, in an economic sense for a lot of people uh, throughout Southeast Asia. Um, and so we're, we started out looking at robusta coffee. There hadn't actually been any anecdotal declines of reports that Robusta was declining dramatically or anything like that, but there is a lot of research on coffee more generally that suggests that it's very sensitive to fluctuations in climate. So there's something called Arabica coffee, which is the other type of coffee, the one you'd probably, when you go to get your morning coffee, it's more likely to be Arabica, and there's a lot of research suggesting that's very vulnerable to shifts in climatic conditions. And so um, we were basically seeing if Robusta was also quite vulnerable or sensitive to changes in climate conditions because there hasn't been as much research carried out on Robusta despite it being of great economic importance um, for lots of countries throughout the world and particularly in Southeast Asia. It's been noted that the variety was given the name Robusta for its robust nature, obviously. Would you have predicted, therefore, that a degree or two in temperature change would have an effect on the yields? Uh, so this is this is quite interesting in, in the, the area of uh, coffee research. So there's 
actually been some contrasts and contrasting conclusions about how sensitive coffee actually is to temperature change and by extension climate change. So you've got uh, some researchers suggesting that coffee is actually uh, quite well uh, suited or adapted to temperature change and mm-hmm. can could cope with climate change quite well because it would use the increases in CO2 to help it deal with heat stress and water stress that might be predicted under climate change. And then there's another group of researchers um, who usually take undertake studies at a broader scale suggesting there could actually be quite serious declines in suitable growing areas for coffee and that as temperatures rise, we might see anywhere up to 50% declines in the area of um, suitable lands for growing coffee. The thing about a lot of these studies and, and arguably one of the reasons why they've come up with these rather um, dramatically contrasting conclusions about how sensitive coffee is to climate change is a lot of the ca- in, in all these cases actually, or in most, sorry, they don't actually look at yield data. So they look at um, you know how the coffee leaves respond to temperature change or with the ones looking at the suitability of coughing area, coffee growing areas. They don't look at yield, but they just look at the presence or absence of coffee plants and say, okay, well, there's a coffee plant here now. These are the climatic conditions. And so we assume that if the climatic conditions change, that you know we won't be able to plant the coffee in other areas. So there's obviously some limitations in, in those kind of studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of expectations, we, were, we weren't really too sure what to expect you know, because there was such a dramatic um, variance in views about how sensitive coffee is to temperature and climatic change. Um, from the few studies that have been carried out on yields, you know, so they've actually looked at um, coffee yields through time and how it responds to climate. There was one in Tanzania, so that's in Africa, and they showed that Arabica yield declined quite a lot when temperature went up. Um, so I think it was something like 27% for each degree, Arabica yields declined in Tanzania, and that was a long-term study over, um, uh, I think, numerous decades. So based on that study, it wasn't really that surprising to see that Robusta was also sensitive to temperature change. Um, So we found that there was about a 14% degree decline in Robusta yields for every extra degree of warming you had. Um, and I, I suppose that's not too surprising because Arabica and Robusta are of the same genus, so they're both coffee plants, and so it's not surprising that they're go, going to be both uh, responding to temperature in, in, a, in a roundabout similar way. The surprising thing about this study, I think, is just how far out previous estimates of Robusta's optimum growing range were. So, um, you know, based on previous estimates, which were really just from historical botanical expeditions carried out, you know, a hundred or so years ago, if not greater. There was this assumption that Robusta could handle, or was its optimal growing conditions were somewhere between 22 and 30 degrees. So that's at the average annual temperature, somewhere between 22 and 30 degrees. Whereas we found that you actually get the highest yield at about 20 and a half degrees. And so that's quite a dramatic difference if you've got people assuming that you could have Robusta growing up to, you know, 28 or 30 degrees and we're showing that actually if you do that, you're going to get much lower yields. I think that's been quite surprising for a lot of people in the coffee industry and certainly one of the the key findings um, that's come out of this project. Another another interesting, um, uh, I suppose, aside or or bit of detail that uh, I think is quite interesting is we know that temperature 
um, is very important for coffee, coffee production. That's robusta and arabica. Um, we don't have a good handle on you know what kind of temperature is important. So is it the minimum or nighttime temperature or the maximum or daytime temperature? Um, and our results suggest it, it might in fact be those nighttime temperatures that are driving the patterns or the decline in yields we're seeing. So as the nighttime temperatures grow up, um, rise, we're hypothesizing that um, it's causing this sort of phenological disruption to the coffee plant and triggering it to grow leaves instead of develop its berries. So you're getting not so much uh, a heat stress or a physical stress um, um, impacting on the plant, causing it to die or something like that. Mm-hmm. But more so, you're interrupting the, the coffee plant's life cycle because the nights are so warm. Um, and that's potentially, we think, one of the mechanisms behind why temperature is so important. That is just a working hypothesis at the moment. Our, our data suggests those models with minimum temperature in it instead of maximum are just a bit better. So there is some support for that hypothesis. But it's certainly something that um, I think needs to be looked into a bit more. And it's important because if it is the nighttime temperatures that are driving these changes, then the range of management responses you need will be quite different um, compared to if it is the daytime or maximum temperatures that are driving the declines in coffee yields. Also, the project is looking at ways to increase the resilience of agricultural producers in Southeast Asia who rely on these kinds of products for their livelihoods. What kinds of ideas have been considered? Has there been any talk of uh, genetic engineering? I know that sounds a bit far out, but... No, 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 that's, that's, that's an excellent question. And, and um, I mean, it's a bit out of, out of my area, I, I confess, but I do know that there is a lot of genetic research going on in coffee production. Um, so the people we work with on this paper, actually some of the co-authors are, you know, in the coffee industry, and that's one of the things they said when I was asking them, you know, what are the, what are the big implications of these findings? And they said, to date, for Robusta at least, there's been a lot of work on breeding up varieties that can handle drought. And so that's been one of their main focuses, and they suggested in a lot of these findings, showing that Robusta is also sensitive to temperature, that there definitely needs to be some careful thought given to developing heat-resistant varieties of Robusta. Uh, so I think that that is definitely an avenue for future research, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's going on at the moment. I know there's people in um, Vietnam, for example, where Robusta is uh, growing widely that are looking at the genetics of uh, Robusta coffee, and I'm sure that'd be one of the things that they're considering. So genetic research is definitely one of the key um, things that people uh, should be looking at. Um, as I said, that's not my area of research and that's probably not something that's a longer-term thing and not something we're looking at specifically in the project. In the project, we're looking at um, a range of different management adaptation options, so things like using seasonal forecasting. Okay. So, um, so for example, um, if we can predict that in the next three months or so that it's going to be hotter or drier than average or indeed wetter or cooler than average, then we can... Um, give the farmers sort of full morning and then we can use that information to help them tailor management strategy. Management strategy. So, for example, if it's going to be hot and dry, we, we might say, okay, you may need to irrigate a little bit more than you do normally. You might think about things like mulching around your coffee plant to protect your soil. Um, and over the longer term, if there's forecasts for you know particularly hot conditions over multiple years or something, or even longer, you might think of something like shade trees and those kind of things to help protect your coffee plants. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so seasonal forecasting is a really key part of our project and linking those seasonal forecasts with specific on-the-ground management actions is one of the key things we're trying to achieve out of this project to help farmers uh, adapt in both the short term to climate act fluctuations and then over the longer term to climate change. And so there's also other aspects of the project looking at how we can improve irrigation and, and other farm practices like fertilisation. So irrigation is particularly important. Um, they irrigate a lot in Vietnam, but unfortunately in some cases there's reports that they're running out of groundwater, which is what they irrigate with a lot. So coming up with ways of using that water more efficiently so they can use their groundwater resources more sustainably is, I think, a really important uh, aspect of managing coffee more sustainably into the future. And one of the other things that I'm particularly interested in work on is something called climate insurance. And so you may have cases where the climatic conditions are so extreme, so you have a really extreme heat wave or really extreme storms or droughts or something like that, that it's just basically impossible for the farmer to adapt to. The cost of adaptation is so great that it's basically not worth them doing or the conditions are so extreme that it's just going to wipe out their crop or a significant portion of their crop anyway. And so all you can really do in those cases is try and financially compensate the farmer for those losses so that they don't go out of business so they can keep producing um, into the future and hopefully make up some of those losses when favourable conditions concern. So the type of insurance we're looking at is something called index insurance and that pays out and triggers when uh, you know extreme climatic conditions occur. So, for example, based on some satellites or some weather stations, if the temperature hits a, a, a critical threshold level, then the farmer automatically gets a payout. Um, and it's, it's a really clever system because it's a lot cheaper than traditional insurance. And with the advent of satellites and um, you know other technologies, it's something you can roll out in developing countries relatively cheaply and hopefully. Um, at a, a reasonable price for farmers. So it is something that um, they can use to financially adapt to the impacts of climate change. Wow, it's definitely a wide-ranging, important project. Um, you've noted that the socioeconomic consequences for Southeast Asia, particularly Vietnam, could be considerable, including the loss of income for potentially millions of people. What are your worst fears, or do you consider... The situation can be not reversed, maybe just uh, you know addressed or alleviated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I suppose the worst here is that the coffee production comes becomes unviable, and we're all stuck in stuck drinking tea for a while or something. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I think that's that's pretty uh, unlikely. In, in fact, I'd say it's very unlikely in the short term, at least. I think in the short term, being in the next decade or two, I think uh, coffee coffee production is really just really important industry. It's, it's difficult to overstate economically how important it is. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Coffee has grown in over 80 countries, so that's Arabica and Robusta together. So that you know that wide diversity or the wide range of countries that coffee's grown in gives us a lot of resilience. So there might be some countries that are suffering from climate impacts and production might go down there, but then other countries, the climatic conditions might become more favourable and production may pick up there. So I, I don't think in the short term, at least, there should be any great concern about coffee running out or anything like that. Um, like you mentioned, but the economic impacts could be quite severe for those people in those countries where the climatic conditions are becoming more unfavourable. And I think that's something that needs a lot of attention, a lot of thought, is how do we help 
those farmers in those parts of the world where climatic conditions may be shifting to becoming more unfavourable or economically unviable for coffee production, and how do we do it, help them adapt? You know, so do we help them adapt by improving their irrigation and farm management techniques and using things like seasonal forecasts? Or do we start transitioning them to other crops? You know, do we get them growing fruit trees or we get them diversifying into other sources of income? And I think that's really an important question. Um, more broadly, but I'm pretty optimistic that the kind of research that we're doing in this project and that lots of other researchers around the world are doing in tropical agriculture and in coffee research will, you know, continue to develop solutions to help farmers adapt. Um, you know, using those things I just mentioned before, and and so I think um, you know, provided that um, over the longer term we can control the rate of global warming, so we can stop temperatures going up, and that provided we can keep doing good research to help farmers adapt, I, I'm pretty confident that we can um, you know maintain sustainable coffee su- supply for the globe and everyone who needs their morning coffee, and and arguably more importantly maintain sources of income for many poor farmers throughout the tropics that depend on coffee production for their livelihoods. Absolutely. Uh, It's a a very important topic um, for a variety of reasons. Dr Jared Kath from the University of Southern Queensland, thank you for speaking to Campus Review.